We're, we're excited. Anytime we can get together in church, it's an opportunity for God to do something amazing. That's how I feel. If we don't feel like that, uh, we shouldn't be here. And so I think God wants to do something uh, profound and life-changing. Uh, there's people that he wants to set free. There's people here at all of our campuses that maybe this is your very first time at church. And God knew the exact time you were going to come, the exact day that, that you were going to come. Satan sent that snowstorm to keep you away from church. But God said, no, I'm going to melt it in, in Jesus' name because snow is from Satan. I know that sounds like it shouldn't be, but I think that hell is filled with snow. And so just my opinion, heaven is like a beach. And so God, God has prepared this day for you. He knew exactly where you were going to sit, exactly when you were going to come, and he has an exact message to, to speak to you. We started last week in a series that we called God of the Underdogs. We thought it was fitting uh, in our time frame to celebrate all that God has done in our city, thank him for that, but also kind of piggyback on the theme uh, that we all kind of fell in love with over the, the past few weeks and months. And I think it's a theme of scripture. And so I told you last week, I said, God loves to, to allow the underdog to find victory in his story because when that happens, he gets the glory. We read a passage last week. I'm not going to take time to read it. But in 1 Corinthians 1, he, he describes, Paul says, hey, listen, God does not pick the, 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 the strongest, the, the most profound. He picks the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He picks people that seem like they shouldn't be able to do things. And he uses them to do things that only he could do unexplainable things. He loves to work through the underdog's story. And here's the thing. All of us have underdog stories. All of us can relate to the underdog. Even those that, of us that walk around arrogantly and cocky and maybe we, we actually try to give off the, 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 the presence that we know who we are. We, we got all this together. Even us. We, we, we struggle with different things in our lives that maybe have been said to us, happened to us, maybe mistakes that we've made. And so last week, we started with week number one. I said, I said, let's talk about when it looks like your chances are too slim. When it doesn't, you don't have the right family, you don't have the right upbringing, you're not from the right city, you, you don't know the right people. Let's talk about when your chances are too slim and how God steps into stories like that. Next week, we'll take a look at the topic, uh, when I don't have the right connections. There's things I want that I think God wants me to do. But I feel like I don't have the right connections to do them. We're going to take a look at uh, a man's story. His name is Joseph. The last week of this series, we'll take a look at the topic. Nobody seems to recognize my potential. Like there's things I know God wants to do in my life, but I know if I say them out loud, there's going to be people that look at me and say, you? Like you really think you're the one that God wants to use to do that? And so I want to talk to you about what it looks like to deal with the haters, with people that, that don't recognize your potential, the people that call into to W610 uh, and, and 97.5 and talk about how you can't do things and, and those things, like that, you know, the us, and so the haters in, in life, like there's, once again, there was nobody that I was on the radio two months ago that was saying, Nick Foles is going to lead us to the promised land, everybody's like, we're dead. What do you do when nobody recognizes your potential? How, how did he get, dig into there? If he turned into the radio, which apparently Jason Kelsey did, if he tuned into the radio, he heard a lot of things that I think he would say. People don't recognize my potential. We're going to take a look at the story of David. To talk, the topic of my message today, and I think it's one that many of you are going to be able to relate to, is, is when my past is too bad. I want to be used by God, but I think I might be discredited, disqualified, and unuseful because my past is really, really bad. There's things I've done that I'm not really proud that I did. There's regrets that I carry around. There's shame that literally imprisons my soul. And I think to myself, I know God wants to use me, but it feels like my past 
is too bad. And here's what's so important about this message. One of the greatest enemies to God's future in your life is your past. The the thing that, that Satan will most often use to keep you from becoming who God has called and created you to be is to consistently talk about your past, to remind you of the things that you've done, to remind you of the places that you've been, to remind you of the people that you let down, to remind you of your deepest, darkest secrets that maybe nobody else knows about, to bring those up time and time and time again. In fact, I would argue, or I would challenge you, and I'll say, how many times do you say words like this, like, I can't? And how many times are those words, I can't, attached to something that you failed at at your past? Like, I can't do that because I've tried that and I failed. How many times would you say that your peace feels like it's been stolen from you, but the truth is the reason you don't have any peace is because you're concerned and worried that your past is going to catch up to you. Like you have anxiety, you're stricken with the lack of peace because you're worried that your past is going to catch up to you. How many times when I talk to you about how God has a good future for your life, that you'll look at your past and you'll say, man, it's impossible because all I see is pain. All I see is issues. Your past is the greatest enemy to God's future. And here's what I would, what I would challenge you with. And I want you to write this down somewhere and, and read it over and over and over again. But you need to remember this. Your life is too short. Maybe you don't get that. The older you are, the more that you realize that. Your life is too short. And your future is too important and crucial to allow, God, to allow your past to control your future. Your, your, your life's too short. You're not meant to deal and struggle with your past and think about it and dwell on it and try to, and try to pay for it and, and try to get better. Like, and and your, your future is too important. What God wants to do in and through your life to allow your, your past to kind of dictate who you are. And so I want to kind of work with you through a story of a man named Jacob today. And here's what's so important about Jacob and really, really about 95% of the characters in the Bible is all of them had a past. Like every one of them, every person that I'm going to talk about over the next few weeks, they they did things. I mean, especially we're going to look at the story of David in a few weeks. He did some stuff in his life that all of us would go. If he can be used by God, I can be used by God. But the problem is a lot of us don't know the Bible. And so we assume that the Bible was written by perfect people to, 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 to serve a perfect God, you know, to reach other perfect people. And if you think that, you're in the wrong church. If you think that, that the reason that God wants to use people is because they're perfect, that, that you are in the wrong church because the message is not about perfection, it's about Jesus Christ. He was perfect because we never, ever could be. And you need to understand the significance of who he allows to be. Like when you read these stories, you go, wow, he allows these people to be in his family tree. Like I don't know if you have anybody in your family tree that you're like, I don't really like that they're there. <laughs> like if I could... If I could rearrange my family tree and DNA, stuff like that, I'd probably write them out of my story. Like, there's just people, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a mom or dad, maybe it's crazy Uncle, you know, Bill or whoever that is. And so, you know, Uncle Bill. And so, some, some of you, Uncle Bill's probably sitting here somewhere. He's like, how do you know? And so, like, you, 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 like, you want to rearrange. And what's so important is understanding this DNA makeup, like who he allows in his, in his thing. There's this new thing going on where you can actually, like, like, figure out who's in your family tree. You can do some some digging like there's this one site it's called it's called familytreedna.com where you can pay a certain amount of money and they'll do some digging for you I, I think people find some pretty ridiculously crazy things like i heard of a story uh, about a kind of a, a person that we know through another person and they bought their mom one of these tests and the mom got it for her birthday she's like why would you buy this for me i don't want i don't want this and she was like mom just do it it'll be fun like you, you have everything else you need you know you've done everything else just just do this test let's see who's in our family family tree so she did the test and it came back with some ridiculously eye-opening 
re results. She, she had this kind of strenuous relationship with her mother her entire life, and she didn't really understand it, the, the mom with her mom. And she didn't understand it. Her mom kind of was, was, was distant from her and, and, and difficult to her and, and kind of mean to her. And she never really understood it because she never really, you know, under, like, she wasn't like, well, I deserve this. She, she was like, I thought, I think you would like me. I think we should be close. And then she found out through a DNA test that her dad, who she thought was her dad, was not actually her dad. She had, a, she had a family, a dad and a family now that lived, she was from Oklahoma, that lived in Pennsylvania. Her dad had passed away before she could find it, but she, she, she found that she had about like three or four half-brothers and sisters that actually she got to reunite with that she didn't know about. And her entire life, what happened is her mom, every time she looked at her, it reminded her of her past and mistakes that she'd done. And so she took out her anger on this, this baby, this child. This DNA thing's important. When you figure out who's in the tree, when you figure out who God allows into his family, it's a significantly eye-opening experience. If the message was about perfection, he would pick perfect people, but the message of, is about grace. And here's the thing about it. Who better to spread that message of grace than some people that need some ridiculous grace? It's like this. If I was to start a business, guess who I'm not going to call? I'm not going to call someone who never started a business. Can you give me some insight on business? I'm not going to call a professor that has never started a business but simply has taken the theory of business to teach me about business because he doesn't know what the in and outs are like. He just knows the textbook. You know who I'm going to call? I'm going to call a business owner. I'm going to call somebody who's been through bad weeks and had bad quarters and faced difficult things and made hires and made fires. And I want to know if I'm going to have a baby, you know who I'm not going to call? Somebody who's never had a baby. You ever meet someone like that? Don't you want to punch people that give you advice that don't have kids? Here's what you should do. Listen, bro, you're not busy. You have no kids. I know you have a full-time job and you live, in a, you live in a house and you pay bills and all that stuff. But if you don't have kids, don't talk to me about busy. Don't talk to me about tired. Don't talk to me about being overwhelmed. I get it. You're all those things. I don't want to offend you. But listen, if I want to talk about parenting with somebody, I want to talk about somebody who's been in the trenches with me. I want you to tell me it's going to get better. Sometime. You're going to get sleep. I also want somebody to tell me, that's your new normal. What's my new normal? You're going to feel like a zombie. You're going to wake up some days and you're not, you're literally, at the end of the day, after doing all your things, you're just going to lay down in your chair. You're going to wonder. There was times I looked at my dad, I'm like, why do you always sleep at nighttime in that lazy boy? And now I realize it because I do the same thing. 6.30, I'm, I'm watching that. Don't turn that. You're snoring. This is my TV, boy. Same conversations. If I, if I would start a church, like when I started this church, I didn't want to talk to people who were just pastors, like somebody who inherited or took a job at a church in their third or fourth generation and had never been through the grind of growing a church. I want to talk to somebody who's grown a church, who's built a church, who started a church from the ground up. I want to hear certain things to them like, hey, it's every Monday feel like you want to take your own life. Is that normal? Like, literally every Monday, I pray rapture. <laughs> Is it normal when it snows for you to, like, hate it? Yes, I hate it. I was up last night. I hate you snow. Go away, right? Like, why are you trying to ruin a Sunday for me? You Satan this snow, right? And so, like, I want to talk to somebody who, somebody, I like to sneak. I don't care what you like. It's a wrong church for you. And, but, like, <laughs> we had no fun first service. People were, like, miserable first service. We're going to have lots of fun this service. I want to talk to those people. Listen, who better to share grace than someone who's seen grace? Who better to, our, our job is to share grace. 
Who better to share grace than someone who has seen grace? And who needs grace than besides somebody who has a really bad past? That's the definition of grace, that you've earned something in the future because of the way that you've lived, because of the debt that you owe, but Jesus steps in and pays your debt and gives you the life that you don't deserve by dying the death you should have deserved. That's grace. Who better to share grace than people with the past? So this is why this is such a significant message. If you have a past, if you've done some things that you're not proud of, if you've carried some things into this place and you've heard, keep it quiet, keep it quiet, you've heard condemnation, you deal with shame, you've done some things that you think, man, I'm never going to be able to pay this back. Listen, you are in the right place because this is who Jesus likes to use. So I want to introduce you to a man named Jacob today, and he's going to make you feel better about yourself. I'm going to give you a little background of his, of his story. You find his story in Genesis chapter 25. And if you're not a church person, there's a few really prominent names in Scripture that you will hear often uh, talked about. One is, his name is Abraham. If you were and grew up in church, you sang Father Abraham. Anybody ever sing that? You would sing this song. You're like, who the heck is Father Abraham? I don't know, but I like this song. It's cool. And so, like Father Abraham, his, his name was Abraham, obviously. God came to this guy, and he said, I want to build a great nation with you. But in order for me to build a great nation, you're going to need to leave everything you know. So the Bible says Abraham packs up his wife and his, his possessions, and he leaves to a land that he was never in before. I mean, that's, 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 it's a lot different than me saying I'm going to pack up and go from Phoenixville to, to, you know, Hawaii, right? Please, like Hawaii, because that's already established. He's going to go somewhere that's not yet established. Then it goes somewhere, but he doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the people that are going to be there. He doesn't really even know the whole, the whole journey. And the Bible says he follows God into this promise. And one of the promises he assumed was going to happen is if he's going to be the father of many nations, he has to be a, a, a great nation. He has to be a father. But the Bible says him and his wife have problems having a baby. And so he's 100 years old, kind of stepped outside the will of God, had a baby with, with one of his, his wife's workers. That's a whole other story. We'll talk about that some other time. But... God comes to Sarah, Sarah and him and says, hey, you're going to have a baby. And he says, I'm 100. Surprise. And she gets pregnant. She gives birth to a baby named Isaac. Isaac grows up. There's a lot of other kind of uh, cool inf information in this story. But Isaac grows up and marries a woman named Rebecca. They have the same problem. 60 years. They still have no babies. They're kind of getting up there in the age. And God says, you're going to have a baby. Not only are you going to have a baby, but surprise, you're going to have twins. You ever finish around somebody who is going to have twins and you just laugh at them? <laughs> no, seriously, that's, that's awesome. I love, I love seeing Pastor Jordan and Isetta and, and, and Jack and Lucy. They're little twins right now, and it's, it's amazing, and it's a blessing. And then I, when, I, when, when I get to hold them and, and watch them you know, eat and all that stuff and just and be around them, and I love when I, we, just, we just leave, though. <laughs> it's not, we're going. See ya. We're going to bed. Have fun. It's a blessing, though. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you're a twin, you are a blessing. I don't want to give you a complex, but I can just, like, they're having twins. They're 60 years old. The Bible says they're born, and it gives a distinct description of these two. Esau was the older brother. Jacob is the younger brother. Esau comes out right before Jacob. The Bible says Esau was born, and here's how Esau got his name. They pull him out of, of Rebekah's womb. They look at him, and the Bible says he's covered in red hair. And so his dad goes, Esau. Come on now, work with me. He names him Esau. One covered in red hair. That's what it means. I mean, that baby's ugly. That's what that means. I mean, oh my goodness. Hopefully the next one's better looking than this one. The next one comes out. The Bible says he has no hair. Uh, he, he has softer skin. He looks like a normal baby. And they name him Jacob. 
When he comes out, the Bible uses this description. It says he's grasping on the heel of Esau. In other words, these two are going to be at each other for the rest of their life. Grabs a hold of Esau, they come out, and here's how the Bible describes him. If you continue to read in the story in Genesis 25 and continue on, the Bible says Esau was really close with his father, and Jacob is really close with his mother. How do we know that? Esau and, and Isaac, they like to hunt, do man's things, go out and kill things, make, make soup out of them, you know, put the antlers on their, their walls, watch Sports Center, do things like that. Jacob, he likes to hang out with his mom. He likes to cook and he, you know, watch Lifetime movies and, and all these other things. And, and it says that Esau and Isaac are close and Jacob and Rebecca are close. You can imagine this is, this is like a movie. There's starting to be some issues there. Anytime you're, you're born and you're not equally loved by your parents and you can tell which one's favored by which one, and that tends to create some insecurity, some, some, some questions, some lack of self-worth. I can just imagine growing up in that home and, and, and Jacob consistently kind of being excited about his accomplishments. Dad, look at this soup that I made out of the, out of the stuff that we grew in mom's garden. And dad looking, where's the beef? Did you kill it or pick it? Esau, let's go. Jacob comes, he hits puberty. He's like, Dad, look. I got hair in my armpits. And he goes, your brother's had hair since he came out. <laughs> Big whoop. Like, you can just imagine if you, like, if, if you could just dig in a little bit to the story. There's a lot of things going on. In fact, there's so much kind of sibling rivalry, and that's, that's kind of what is created when you have a family like that, is at one point Esau comes in, the Bible says in Genesis that he's famished, he's hungry, he smells something. Jacob's cooking his famous, you know, porridge in the kitchen. He comes in, he says, can you give me a bowl of that? And Jacob, because he's in competition, he's always been in competition, he says, I'll give you a bowl, but you give me your birthright. In other words, you're going to get two-thirds, I'm going to get one-third because you came out first. I tried to grab you and pull you back in, but you decided to get out first. We have all sorts of issues. Dad's going to give you two-thirds. He's only going to give me one-third, but give me your birthright, and I'll give you some soup. Esau was so hang, uh, hangry, he falls for it. I wasn't even going to say that. It just kind of came out. He falls. <laughs> he falls for the trick, and he gives him his birthright, and the Bible says that he resents it for the rest of his life. You ever make a, make a, make a mistake, a choice where you go, I can't believe I did that? But it's so far away in the future. He's like, man, Jacob will probably forget about that. The Bible says that Isaac, he gets old and he, he begins to lose his eyesight and he's about to die. He says, it's time to give my blessing to my sons, give my, you know, what the, what's rightfully theirs, birthright. Uh, and so he calls in Esau as his first son. He says, hey, go out and hunt and kill something and bring me back a meal. And over this meal, I'm going to bless you and I'm, I'm getting ready to die. Rebecca hears about this whole plan. Esau goes out to hunt. She goes to get Jacob, and she says, now's your time. Not only do you have the birthright, but now it's time to get the blessing. She takes him in. She gets some of Esau's clothes. You know what they probably smell like? And so he gets some of the clothes. They put on the, the clothes of Esau. They get some goat hair, wrap it around Jacob's arms, anywhere that, 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 that Isaac would touch. He goes in. His father, who's almost blind and dead, he walks in, and he says, I brought you your soup. And his father says, that sounds like Jacob, not Esau. I brought you your soup, he says. Come let me touch you. Comes over with his goat skin. You can just imagine he's shivering. He puts his arm out. He feels, and he's like, that feels like, sounds like Jacob, but feels like Esau. He eats some soup. It's so good. He's like, man, you did a good job killing whatever that you just killed, son. And in the moment, he blesses, he blesses Jacob with Esau's blessing. Esau has now stole his birthright and his blessing. Esau comes walking in out of hunting, comes whistling in. He's killed stuff. He brings his soup, comes walking. He's like, dad, I'm home. 
And he was like, you were just here. We already did this. You forget, I'm old. You feel, you're losing your memory, though. And he says, it wasn't me. And at that point, he realizes, once again, it's his brother Jacob who has stepped in to steal something that was rightfully his. The Bible says that he wants to kill him. He wants to destroy him. After I'm done mourning the death of my dad, he dies soon thereafter, I'm going to kill him and take back what's mine. Rebecca goes to Isaac and she says, hey, hey or Jacob, and she says, you need to run. Your brother's going to kill you. And for the next 20 years, he stays far away from Esau. He goes to his, his uncle Laban's house, marries uh, a woman named Leah, marries another woman named Rachel. That's a whole different, different story. Uh, does a bunch of just really bad things to, to his uh, to his. his Father-in-law Laban steals from him. At one point, he takes stuff from his house, the Bible says. We don't know exactly what it is, and runs, and Laban comes and finds him. And whatever he has taken, he gave to his one wife, Rachel. He said, hide it. She put it up her skirt, and she sat down on it. Laban comes in, and this is what Rachel says, and he has now influenced his, his wife. She looks at her father, and she says, I would greet you, but I'm on my time of the month, and so I can't get up. If you don't know what that is, you will someday. I mean, this is literally in the Bible. This dude is a lying, deceiving, horrible human being. He's stolen from his brother. He, he's, he's lied to his dad. He's stealing from his father-in-law. This dude is as far from being useful to God as you can possibly be. He deals with all sorts of issues, all sorts of daddy problems, all sorts of identity issues. He is, he is struggling. And then we meet him 20 years later in Genesis chapter 32. And the story begins with us finding out that Esau has found out where he's at. And he's coming with 400 armed men. And he's not coming to have a party. Jacob is terrified. Comes up with this plan. I'm going to bribe him. I'm going to separate my families. I'm going to send the favorite part over here. The other, maybe, maybe, maybe one of us will make it out. I'm going to put all these people in front of me. He, he's even so, so afraid. He begins to pray, but he, in his prayer, he's manipulating God. God, don't save me, but save my wife and kids. Like, think of them. And the Bible says in, in Genesis chapter 32, and this is a moment that changed this man's life forever. It's not a moment he deserved. It's not a moment he earned. It's not a moment he paid for. He gets the grace of God. But here's the thing about it. The grace of God is costly to you. The, the grace of God is going to take some effort from you. For you to allow the grace of God to set into your life and to transform you, it's more than just a prayer. You're going to see that. It's more than just a one-time decision. Okay, I've received God as my Lord and my Savior, and I'm going to walk out of this place, and, and, and I'm going to change. That's not what often happens to people because we want it to be instantaneous. And, and for when we follow God, oftentimes it's day by day, effort by effort. But it's this moment that began to change this man. I want to show you in Exodus, or Genesis chapter 32, verse number 22. The Bible says, that night Jacob got up. The night before he's going to meet Esau, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all the possessions. So Jacob was left alone. This is oftentimes the beginning of a God moment in your life. He, he's all alone, the Bible says. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. This is one of those Hulk Hogan moments. The dude comes over, hits his hip. Jacob is, he can't walk. 
He's like, now I got him. And the Bible says that Jacob's hand goes down, that ref puts it up. His hand goes down, ref puts it up. Right? Come on, Hulk Hogan reference. And he grabs a hold of this man. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go. Then the man asks, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Watch this. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcame. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do I need to tell you my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it is because I saw, I saw God face to face. And yet my life, my life was spared. See, if you want to become who God's called you to be, oftentimes you have to wrestle. The title of my, of my, 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 my sub-message or my points would be, how to, how to wrestle with your past and, and win. How to wrestle with your past and win. The first step is the most difficult. Here's what it is. You ready? You need to stop your hiding. You need to stop your, your hiding. For 20 years, Jacob is in hiding. He's running. He's keeping away from his past. He's tricking people. He's, he's looking out for his past. And finally, his past has caught up with him. And he has a decision to make. Am I going to keep, am I going to keep hiding? And so then he meets this, this, this guy. He doesn't really know who he is until he kind of figures stuff out. He's wrestling with, with God himself here, Scripture tells us. And as he's wrestling with God, God does something very profound. He says, what's your name? And I have to, I have to believe that God's not going, who are you? It's kind of dark. I'm not really sure who I'm wrestling with here. I have to believe that God knows exactly who he is. And so there's something more distinct and profound about this question. There's something deeper. God wants him to come face to face with who he really is. Who are you? I'm Jacob. What does that mean? I'm the guy who tricked my dad. I'm the guy who lied to my brother. I'm the guy who ran off and stole things from my father-in-law. I'm the guy who manipulates even God. I'm Jacob, and he stops hiding in this moment. You see, whatever happened cannot be changed, but you can choose what to do with it. And the truth is, what you hide is never healed. This is the beginning of his healing, is, is what you hide is never healed. I'll give you a, an example. My son Lincoln got his tonsils out on Monday. The way we found out that he needed to get his tonsils out is we've been going through kind of the orthodontist practice. They put spaces in, pull teeth. And so we went to have a, a, a meeting with our orthodontist, and he said, hey, his top teeth are not spreading out correctly. And the reason they're not spreading out correctly is his tongue cannot go where it's supposed to go. And the reason his tongue cannot go where it's supposed to go and stretch out the top of his mouth is because his tonsils are the size of baseballs. That's an exaggeration, but they're huge. His adenoids, the androids, whatever there are, his android phone, whatever, those were also messed up as well. So my wife, she's like, don't, ever, don't talk at the doctor. Just sit there, smile. <laughs> so he pulls up this, this x-ray, and he puts it on the, on, on the thing, and he says, here's what a normal person's passageway of air is supposed to look like, and here's your son's current situation. And then he began to ask us a series of questions. He said, does he get sick, like strep throat once or once twice a year? I said, yeah, he kind of get sick more than, more than most kids that I know, or I don't remember getting strep throat that much. And then he says, uh, does, does, he, does he fall asleep like at nighttime, like before everybody else? And I say, yeah, there's times I'll buy a movie on, like, on demand, and he falls asleep two minutes into it, and I get mad at him. He says, does he snore? I'm like, yeah, for the love of, of God, he snores all the time. Like, he's been, he has rectifications because he snores so loud. Like, like, I have to get separate rooms away from him because of the level of his snoring. And he looked at me, and he says, did you run out of breath? And I said, yeah. 
Like we'll be playing, he'll be playing soccer, and he'll, he'll act like he can't, can't run, he's dying. I'll be yelling at him to hustle. Yeah, I felt awful, right? And he looked at me and he said, here's why, because he can't breathe. He can't sleep at night because he can't breathe. He's not getting good sleep at night, so at night at nighttime, when everybody else is staying up, he's falling asleep because he's not sleeping at night because he can't breathe. When you're playing soccer, he can't run. Every time you yell at him, you're yelling at him to do something that physically he cannot do. You are an awful parent, Steve. <laughs> you, know, you know what? As we answer those questions truthfully, the doctor then referred us to another doctor who then said, hey, it's time to take these out. But I could have made another decision in that moment. I could have said, how much is the deductible? You don't need to run. I could have lied and said, yeah, he, he doesn't really snore that much. He gets sick like once every six, month, six years. He, he doesn't fall asleep that much. He's not the slowest kid on his team. And we could have lied about all those things and walked away. And guess what? He would have never been healed. See, oftentimes in our lives, the beginning of God changing us is for us to stop hiding because what we hide is never healed. Another thing we often do while we're hiding it is we minimize it. We minimize our pain, which by the way, minimize pain still has control of you. You'll say things like, it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that hurtful. It wasn't that big of a mistake. It's not that big of a secret. It's not, it wasn't that hurtful to me. My parents that did that, it didn't affect me that much. You know, that failure, it's not sticking with me too much. And you, you minimize it and you hide it. And what you hide is never healed. And you need to understand the beginning of healing comes when we let things out into the light and we stop hiding. Like, think about it. If at any time in your life you want to get in shape, what do you first have to step on? The scale. Because <laughs> what will you do? You'll look in the mirror and be like, it's not that bad. You pull your, you pull your belt. You're like, it's still, my, my, it's still in the same hole. It's fine. Meanwhile, you know, belly's hanging on the floor. Like, you'll just, you'll kind of exaggerate, right? I'm fine. I can't breathe, but I'm fine. My wife's done this before. You gain weight. I said, no, I still wear the same size pants. She said, your pants are pants now, right? Like, you need, what's the beginning of getting healed? Okay. I got a lot of work to do. But at least I know where I'm at. The same thing happens when it comes to, to stepping out of your past. You go, you know what? I'm going to stop hiding. I, I'm going to begin to let light into my life. I'm going to stop making excuses. I'm going to stop minimizing it. I'm going to stop de de like just running after security and comfort. I'm going to stop pretending that it didn't happen. I I'm going to move forward. I'm going to stop minimizing, and I'm going to start surrendering my past to Jesus. I'm going to start giving my past to Jesus. That's why James chapter 5 says, Therefore, confess your what? Your sins to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. In other words, if you have a plant that needs some 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 help. You give it water, but another really crucial thing you need to do is get it into some light. Because that light will begin to heal it. The same thing is true for our lives personally. There's things in your life that, that are haunting you, and the first step is to getting them out in the open. I can't tell you how many moments I've had like this with God. There's been things and seasons that I've dealt with and moments in my life, and I'm not a crier, but there's been moments in my life where I just had to let stuff out in God's presence. Just cry it out and just say, God, I can't deal with this. I don't want to have this anger anymore. I don't want to have this bitterness. I don't want to struggle with this mistake. God, would you give mercy to my soul? God, would you give freedom to, to my soul? You see, the, the truth is this confession is that first step in the new direction. And until you're willing to admit who you are, 
you can never become who God has called you to be. You need to stop with your hiding. Number two is this, and this one's really important. You need to switch what you're hearing. You need to stop with your hiding. You need to switch what you're hearing. You see, words have the power, the Bible says, of life and of death. There's been words spoken into your life. There's been names called to you. There's, there's things that you hear about your life, ways that the enemy is allowed to define your life that is literally bringing death to who you are, death to, to your future. And at some point, you need to understand that what you hear about yourself has the ability to hold you or to heal you. It can hold you in your past. It can hold you in a prison. It can hold you with condemnation or it can heal you with grace. And at some point, you're going to need to switch the words that you've been hearing about your life. And I know this is true because it, Jacob experienced it. What was said about him affected what he did. Maybe you know from this story, when I told you, I said, listen, Esau was named Esau because of his hair. It was Esau. But you know why they, that Jacob was named Jacob? His father looked at him and he grabbed his brother's heel as he was coming out. And he said, oh, that's cute and kind of weird. So I'm going to name you Jacob. But I, I failed to mention what that word meant. That name meant deceiver. I'm going to call you little deceiver. I'm going to call you the one that's going to try to trick people. This will be like me having my kids and my first impression naming them. Carter came out screaming. I'm going to call him Hellion. Lincoln came out. They laid him on the table. It was the complete opposite. He acted like he was high. He just laid there and looked around. And this would be like me calling him Pothead. And then my third one came Harrison. And my reaction to him is, oh, no. Oh, Oh, snap, right? Like, oh, and the rest of his life telling him, oh, no. I mean, for the rest of his life, Jacob hears from his father, you're a deceiver. That's what I see for your life. That's what I see for your future. You're not as good as your brother. And it's cute you were trying, but you're going to have to deceive to get your way. You're going to have to deceive to become who God's called you to be. You're just going to be a deceiver. And that name played out in his life. And I can't tell you how many times I've met somebody and I've looked at them and I said, the names you recall are just playing out. The, the, the words that were used to describe you are, are defining you. And this is what's so significant about this story. As he's wrestling with God, the first thing God says is, what's your name? Stop your hiding. You're Jacob. I know you're Jacob. I made you. You're the deceiver. You're the one who tricked your dad. You're the one that ran from your brother. You're the one that stole from your father-in-law. You're Jacob. You've been a deceiver. And he looks at Jacob in, the, in this story, and he says, your name's no longer going to be Jacob, because only, listen, only God has the power to change your past. Only God has the power to set you free. Only God has the authority to write out your story. He says, no longer are you going to be called Jacob. What does he say? I'm going to call you Israel. Why? Because you struggled with God and with humans, and watch this, and now you've overcome the entire life, he has been waiting to have the blessing of a father. Hey, mom, what does my name mean? Your dad called you deceiver. <laughs> it's kind of cute, right? You called me what? Hey, dad, look what I did. You little deceiver. Get away from me. Dad, look what me and mom did. You've always been a deceiver. His entire life, he wanted the blessing of his father. He wanted his father to say, you're good enough. What's happening in this moment? He's getting the blessing of his father. 
but it's not a temporary earthly father. It's his heavenly creator, his heavenly father. And he says, no longer will you be called deceiver. From this day forward, I'm going to call you Israel because you have struggled and wrestled with God and humans and you've overcome. What's he starting to hear? I'm a mistake. I've made mistakes. I've done some stuff, but I am not a mistake in the future. I've been hurt, but I'm not hopeless. I've been abused. But God says I'm not abandoned. I have a past, but, but my God says I have a purpose. Begin to switch what you're hearing. That's why the word of God is so important to you. The word of God says it's a light into your path and a lamp into your soul. The word of God says about itself in Proverbs 4, it says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are what? They are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. As I did some digging, I thought to myself, why was he attacked so bad here? Why, why was he attacked? Why did Satan attack him at the core uh, and call him a deceiver? And then I realized as I studied that the promise that God wanted to use him was on his life before he ever came. And what I started to think to myself is Satan always attacks us where he feels most threatened. So that areas of your life where you've heard the most negativity, where you've heard the most criticism, when you've had the most neglect, when maybe you felt the most pain, I can promise you that Satan has been so intense in those areas because he knows the potential that you have been called and created with. You know, I know that because in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 25, his mother has a dream and she hears very distinctly that you will have two sons, but the, the, the older son will serve the younger son. The younger son has a, has a purpose and a plan. Jacob has, has a really big job to do. So what does Satan do? Satan attacks him very strategically and says, you're going to be a deceiver for the rest of your life. You're going to have to pull punches and fake people out to get what you want to have. And I wonder what he's done to you. You know, for me, I think God had planned for me to do this. I hope he, he does. If he doesn't, I don't want to do it anymore. But from a very early age, I heard from people, you're not a leader, you're just a follower. And I heard it over and over and over again. And I still hear it over and over and, and over and over again. I had to have a Jason Kelsey speech in my head oftentimes. Why did I hear that so many times? Because God, Satan knew what I was destined to do one day and so what he wanted to do is he wanted to steal that from me from attacking me at the exact spot that he knew God would use me and so maybe maybe you've been confused as to why Satan has so harshly attacked you why life has so harshly attacked you it's because he's most threatened by that area you're gonna switch what you're hearing in two more and you can come play me out is you can you're gonna settle up with your past this is the most difficult one because what we want to do is we want to go okay I've said a prayer I'm good I'm sorry and I think this is, what, this is what Jacob wanted because what he prayed, can you stop Esau from coming here? Can you stop him from getting here? Can you stop me from having to face this? Can you stop me from having to deal with my past? And the Bible says he wrestles with God all night. But you know what God doesn't do? God doesn't stop Esau. In fact, not only doesn't God stop Esau, but he stops and takes away Jacob's ability to run from Esau by making him limp. I mean, the very... The very strength that he had to help him to run away from the purposes and plans of God, of God for his life, which was, I'm going to be a deceiver. I'm going to constantly be on the run. I'm going to constantly be hiding out. Now, God has taken that from him. He's a changed man. But you'll notice that God doesn't just take away Esau. 
that he still needs to go settle up with him. And the Bible says that he goes and meets Esau. And I can just imagine, he's limping. He's a proud man. He just wrestled with God and he's, he's limping. Maybe he has a cane now. He didn't have the knife before. What happened to you? I wrestled with God. No, seriously, what happened? Drink too much last night? I wrestled with God last night. He changed my name. I'm Israel now. What? He's walking up. Esau's coming with 400 men. And something happens in this moment. Why? God, God often rewards this type of tenacity and faith. And where Esau should have been angry and, and mad and, and resentful and, and bitter and hateful, his past has come to destroy him. The Bible says that when Esau sees him in, in Scripture in Genesis 33, that he runs and embraces. Jacob can't run to him, but he runs and embraces him, throws his arms around his neck and kisses him, and they weep together. Could you just imagine this moment? 20 years they've been separated. 20 years Jacob's been hiding out. But here comes Israel. He's a different man. You're going to stop his hiding. You're going to switch what he's hearing. You're Israel now. You can do this. But he still has to settle up with his past. You know why? What you refuse to face will always rule you. And I told you when we did this series, I said, you're going to have to hear a lot about the Eagles probably. So I watched some clips, different things this week. Relived our glory. I was watching a clip of Nick Foles on Ellen. She was talking about his career and, and coming back from getting cut and all these things. And he was talking about how, you know, he almost quit. He almost retired. He lost the joy of the game. He was afraid of being a failure. And then he thought to himself, if I don't come back, I'm letting fear win. So he didn't really feel that good. You see, sometimes settling up with your past is not a woo. But he kind of limped back to football and he faced his fear he settled up with his failures the same thing happens here and oftentimes in your life when you want to when you want to grow when you want to become who God's called you to be when you want to wrestle with your past and win you got to settle up with it what does that mean you got to settle up with forgiveness can I just talk to you about forgiveness it's awful you know how I know it's awful because it was awful for Jesus it took everything from him it took his life to forgive you so you know what that tells me? You don't come into church and go, I forgive him, I feel better. <laughs> it takes everything from you. You know how you know you forgave somebody, you've settled up, you've wrestled with it, is you can see them and you don't think nothing but love for them. You can see them and pray good thoughts for them. You can see them and not leave and talk bad about them. You, you, you've been settled with them. You've settled up with your past and forgiveness. Sometimes you got to settle up with failures. And what I mean is there's areas of your life when you've fallen flat on your face. But that was the old you. Now there's a new you. And you got to run back to where you failed and try again because God's called you to it. you got to settle up with regret. you got to settle up with bitterness. you got to settle up with your past. you gotta, you got to stop with your hiding. you got to switch. What you're hearing, you got to settle up with your past. And number four, you got to strengthen your grip on Christ. Here's what I know about your life. The tighter you get your grip on Christ, the less strength you will have to grab hold of the things of your past. The tighter that you get your grip. You see, listen, walking into your future is not just a one-time decision. It's, it's, it's a decision that, that affects every aspect of your life. I'm going to follow Christ with every ounce of energy that I have. I'm going to give him every ounce of, of, of talent that I have. My time, I'm going to give him my best time. And the more that you grab a hold of Christ, the less strength you will have to grab a hold of past failures. 
things that have ridiculed you, things that have hurt you, things that have held you back. Want to know the coolest part of this story? He goes on to have kind of a different legacy. He becomes Israel. He becomes the father of the Jewish nation. He becomes the lineage through which Jesus Christ came to this earth and saved this world. He's in the family tree, just like me and you have a, the ability to be in the family tree, to be used by God. But oftentimes, even after this story, you'll hear God kind of be given reference and he'll be described as, you know, here's who he, he's the God of. And you would think in scripture after this story that he would, when he referred to himself, that he would want to associate himself with Israel. Like after Jacob, this part. Like when he wrestled with God from this point on, and you would think he would call himself the God of Israel. But there was also times where God would be described, and it would say this in the Bible. It would say, God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and then it would say the God of Jacob. Like what it was saying is, is yes, he's the God of Israel. Yes, he's the God of your best parts. Yes, he's the God of when he forgives you and when he gives you grace and when he gives mercy. But he also is the God of your past. He's also the God of your worst. He's also the God that loves you while you are still screwed up. He's also the God that loved you in your worst situation. He's also the God that loved you in your pit, that was willing to get down into your pit. He's also the God that died for you while you were still a sinner. He's not just the God of your best. You see, that's what's so cool about God. It's what he's not saying. He's not saying, okay, you came to church today. Get yourself cleaned up. Go home this week. Practice saying the Lord's Prayer. Say it in the King James Version. Make sure you don't curse out loud. Make sure you stop listening to that filthy music. Break up with that girl. Do this, do that. You know, stand on one, one knee. Put some stuff on your, on your forehead. And then, then I'll take you back. I'll take to you right now. Come to me if you're weary, heavy laden. If your past has worn you out. If you feel abused. If you feel broken. If you feel like you can't do it. Come to me. Let's wrestle together. You know what I think in this story? I think you read it and your first assumption is God is wrestling against Jacob. But I think by the, by the end you realize that God's not wrestling against them. That, that they're wrestling together against who Jacob was. And God says, I'll wrestle with you we'll stick this out to you or who I called and created you to be. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm here right now for you. And if you have a past, guess what? You're in the right place. This is a house of grace. This is a place of mercy. This is a place where we believe that God can step into any person's life and no matter how dark it is, he can flip the script and give you light. This is a place where we believe that if your heart is still beating, that God has a purpose and plan for your life.